from UA Little Rock Public Radio, this is The Art Scene. I'm Daniel Breen. When you think of the Monets, O'Keeffe's, and the Picassos of the world, an image probably instantly springs to your mind. But if you know Nick Cave, that image probably looks like nothing else on this earth. A gyrating form clad in a neon explosion of fur, characteristic of his signature sound suits. Cave made his first sound suit in the wake of the Rodney King beatings, to serve, as he puts it, as an alien second skin that allows viewers to look without bias toward the wearer's identity. But while Cave's themes are still present in his newer works, the massive scale of his exhibition Until moves beyond the individual and into the collective. Over 24,000 square feet of gallery space at the Momentary in Bentonville is dedicated to it, chock full of objects, textures, and a massive crystal cloudscape hanging overhead. Cave came to search for the piece in his search for a place of comfort, hope, and reflection in the wake of highly publicized incidences of police brutality against black Americans. And providing that space to the viewer is the goal of Until, and Cave's self-ascribed duty as an artist. Nick Cave Until is free for all, on display until January 3rd at the Momentary, Crystal Bridge's satellite space in downtown Bentonville. Today we hear a preview of the exhibition in Cave's own words. In a discussion moderated by Momentary Visual Arts curator Lauren Haynes. Starting off the discussion is curator Denise Marconish of Mass Mocha in North Adams, Massachusetts, where the work had its debut. About seven years ago, um, I um, had seen a work of Nick's, um, which was a blackface cast iron lung jockey. <clears throat> um, this sort of racist object pulled out of circulation, holding a bouquet of metal flowers. And, you know, I was very familiar with Nick's sound suits and um, the performative work that he had been doing, but I had never seen that, that piece before. And um, so I was really curious to know sort of the different, um, the breadth of his work in, in, a, in a more expansive way. And so I went to Chicago to meet with him and I, I had the kind of audacity to ask him um, if he would be willing to tackle Mass Mocha's largest space. Um, we have one space here, which is called Building Five, which we dedicate to a single artist for a new commission uh, every year. And it's about 18,000 square feet. Um, and so I said to him, um, I want you to fill this space and I don't want you to fill a single sound suit. Um, and he paused and he said, then he said, uh, and I knew this was a moment where it could have gone right or wrong. He could have been like, how could you tell me not to do what I'm known to do? And, but he just paused and said, ooh, girl, thank you. Um, and I love that response because it was, it was standing that here's an artist at this moment knowing that he wanted to already have this huge impact on the art world and the world in general and wanted to make that even bigger. And, um, and then I sort of let Nick stew and simmer for about a year and went back a year later and he presented the idea for Until. You know, it's interesting, you know, I had been to Mass Mocha a, a number of times and, you know, I'm familiar with Gallery 5 and, you know, I can only just imagine like, oh God, if I could only sort of have the opportunity opportunity to sort of uh, experience sort of working in this sort of space. I mean, I think for me, it's really sort of 
uh, looking at uh, just sort of, you know, where do you see yourself in places and in spaces and imagining what that could be if that possibility could present itself. And I tend to sort of like, you know, I have these ideas, I have these ideas about space, I have these ideas about galleries, partnerships, connecting, and I just sort of throw it out to the universe. And, you know, and hopefully it will sort of connect or, uh, or somehow we will find our way sort of merging and, and collaborating. And so when, you know, Denise sort of offered me, invited me to sort of, uh, to have this opportunity at Mass Mocha, it really sort of was a life-changing sort of moment. It was a moment where I knew that I had to sort of uh, shift my way of thinking, my way of working, uh, and I was really at that sort of pivotal sort of point in my practice where I was ready for that and it was happening. The transitioning from one way of working and thinking was, re was in that sort of flux sort of space of emerging and something new was about to occur. And so when, um, you know, she came and then she left. And I really wasn't really thinking about what would I do in that space. I knew that I had a year to think it through. And so I was sort of in my studio, sort of continuing with um, the work at hand in meeting other deadlines. And, you know, it was really not until Michael Brown uh, happened is when everything came together. I was in my studio working um, and when that, when I'd heard about that incident, all of a sudden the thought of is, I wonder if there's racism in heaven, sort of came in my sort of thoughts. And so that was the catalyst for until when that thought came to mind i then started drawing and sketching just this real very loose idea of this sort of object that was operating as this sort of crystal cloud scape uh that was also sort of, I was thinking about, you know, elevation and how do I get to the top? How do I, how do we get to heaven? And so all of these ideas started to sort of come together and formulated the entire sort of uh, project. Um, you know, when I think about like a Michael Brown, when I think about, um, Trayvon, uh, when I think about um, Taylor, you know, I'm thinking about um, that, you know, we as, as a nation, we as a country, you know, we as people, we don't necessarily feel that it's in our backyards. And yet, 
it very much so is. And so that also became part of the work. Um, as you will walk into the exhibition, you walk into this extraordinary spinner forest made up of all of these spinners that you would normally see in your backyard blowing in the wind freely. And so it really sort of puts you right into that space, that place of home, that place of innocence. And yet as you start to engage in this sort of immersive uh, kinetic sort of experience, you find that the spinners are not just familiar imagery, but you discover that you are are exposed to images of guns and bullets and teardrops mixed in with flowers and hummingbirds. And so it really sort of hits you right in the gut and starts to shift this sort of um, very sort of uh, concerning sort of emotion. You know, you are sort of consumed with beauty and opulence, and yet you're sort of, sort of, sort of burdened with this sort of heaviness. And so throughout the exhibition, you, you will find yourself sort of torn between these sort of two emotions. One of the, the next things, you know, as Nick sort of started to come back with his idea and we, we looked at the sketches and um, we realized at that point um, that everything Nick does is, is beyond what most artists do and that we really needed to find partners to make this project a reality and not just to make it happen, but like we realized the importance of having this work out in the world um, in our community, but in multiple communities. Um, and so that's when we started to um, talk to folks at Crystal Bridges when the momentary was kind of like a glimmer in the future. Um, and, and also found another great partner in Carriage Works in Sydney, Australia. And really, um, it was remarkable for me because working at Mass Mocha in an old factory building, I hadn't yet found my kind of peer organizations that are willing, that have the sort of scale, the kind of non-traditional space, and the willingness to really support making new work happen. And I found that in these partners. And, and then the show also traveled to Tramway in Glasgow, which was another one of those um, sister institutions. And it's, it's never been a solo effort. Um, even when the show was getting installed at the momentary Mass Mocha sent our crew who built the sculpture there to help put it together. And, and, and it's, um, it's been a kind of amazing building of community around this work, um, both with our visitors, our staff, um, and then a whole slew of performing artists as well. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I started at Crystal Bridges probably right around the time that until it was opening at Mass Mocha. So, there were many um, exciting things that you always know about starting a new job and projects that are like in the works and coming up. So being able to hear about until um, that we were actually going to have it, it was going to be at the momentary once we sort of got a little closer to understanding just some of the requirements and space-wise and all of that was really exciting to think about. But then going, the first time I saw it was at 
CARES works in Sydney. So just seeing it there um, was a really amazing experience because just the idea of you know, being somewhere completely new, but seeing this work and seeing you all and seeing this experience of having a topic that's so relevant, right? But relevant to us here in the United States, probably in one particular way, relevant to the community of carriage works in Sydney in another way and similar to Tramway in Scotland. So just really thinking about how these conversations around the exhibition continue to evolve. Can you all talk about just some of what it's been like to see it in these different locations, right? And just the different um, contexts and different conversations that have really developed at each location. I mean, I think you really just hit the nail on the head. Like even though um, the work sort of sprang from this you know, tragically American moment um, to see how the work itself, because it is about that, um, like Nick said, the back and forth between beauty and pain, that that is a really universal idea. And we found that going to communities like Australia, um, that so much of the pain they were expressing was from the indigenous community there. And and the violence that has happened against them and, um, and you know, with the um, African community in, in Scotland. And so it was, for me, it was really amazing how those messages and even just that simple idea of innocent until proven guilty or guilty until proven innocent really transcended our American cultural moment and, and gained this meaning. And, you know, um, that to me is like an, an amazing um, feat that's not really very easy to pull off usually. <laughs> right, it's very, it's universal, right? I think yeah. there's this, that, you know, it may appear differently or like, you know, names may change, but it is a universal experience. I think, Nick, that's one of the things about your work in general, but also about until seeing it and how there is a place for everyone to enter into this conversation, right? Everyone being able to like enter in and experience the work and connect with a different piece, I think is just something that speaks to how I think audiences will be able to hold on to something in a way, um, a work that they may feel connected with or an idea and then really be able to enter in into the space and into the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think it's about, you know, the fact that, you know, it's about humanity. It's about, um, and how do we sort of, um, sort of address that? You know, how do we address the isms uh, that are global uh, issues and concerns and that, uh, and how do we sort of create space for, uh, for these conversations to be had. And, uh, but, you know, going back to uh, the sort of installation, you know, it was, you know, for me, it was, you know, it just, it started, you know, at Mass Smoker where, um, you know, the entire Gallery 5, you know, started out as a working studio. So basically we were building everything in gallery five as well as uh sort of experimenting and testing so gallery five became my home away from home studio for you know about two months with 
you know, about, you know, how many people Denise was in there? I don't remember. We had, between our crew and your assistance, we had 20 people. Yeah, and so we were in there basically building the piece and working from the front to the, to, toward the back. Uh, and so that was interesting to think about uh, that, you know, the use of space and how that space had to function as both the studio as well as the gallery space and the install and the installing of the work itself. And so for me, all of these amazing sort of opportunities that until has uh, experienced, you know, at Carriageworks Tramway and, and now here at the Momentary, you know, I've had to reimagine uh, what that would look like, reimagine uh, how does uh, certain parts of the work sort of fit into uh, different spaces? Uh, what do we sort of eliminate uh, from one show to another? And how does, what are the important sort of elements that have to be in every show in order for it to sort of still carry the same sort of impact and uh, deliver the same sort of uh, experience. And so it's been really sort of amazing working in these various sort of uh, incredible space, spaces and seeing how it sort of finds its way uh, in and how it sort of situates itself within uh, these spaces and really sort of hold its sort of ground. This is the art scene from UA Little Rock Public Radio. I'm Daniel Brain. We're listening to artist Nick Cave reviewing his new work, Until, on display at the Momentary in Bentonville until January 3rd. He's joined by Denise Marconish, senior curator at Mass Mocha, and Lauren Haynes, the Momentary's curator of visual arts. Here's Lauren. Nick, I remember um, you had the opportunity to see the momentary in various different states. Can you talk about sort of the different times in which you've seen the momentary and sort of now with until there, like what, how did, how did it feel, I guess, coming a couple of weeks ago and sort of seeing it, actually parts of it up and us starting to like move through that process of installation? Well, you know, when I knew that it was going to come there, you know, I was curious about, you know, uh, the space. And so, you know, when I did, get that first sort of tour through, I was like, it's not possible. It cannot, the object, it's the one object, the crystal cloudscape cannot fit in here. And the only way that it's going to fit is if you cut back half of the mezzanine. And so you have to do that in order for this to work. And so it was really sort of, you know, I just had to sort of be really upfront and like, well, this is what we have to do. We were in the midst of construction anyway, so it was something that was easily adjusted and working with our architects and the team. Some of the works in particular, thinking about um, the beaded curtain tarp works, those that at each location that they've been installed have taken on a different form um, and sort of responded to the space. You know, at Mass Mocha, they were mountains. They were sort of crafted around these beautiful um, structures and had took on a more sculptural feel. Um, at Carriageworks, they were hung 
and this beautiful open space that they had sort of draping and even creating hallways. Um, and you know, at the momentary when you see them, you will see how they, we've been able to take advantage of our tower space, um, a space that um, goes up very high and we were able to get some amazing height and take these seated works up. And so you get different views from our first floor, but also from both the mezzanines. And so really, I think about those works often when I think about until and just how it is able to fit and shape um, and be what each space needs it to be. Yeah, and I think that's the sort of beauty is that, you know, how do you, you know, how things morph and sort of um, renegotiate their sort of placement? Uh, and how do we look at architecture and, and in, in ways that will open up different ways of imagining uh, works to sort of to be? And I think that with the beaded tarps, you know, there's so much flexibility within that object that it's amazing what how it can sort of reshape itself. And so here at the momentary, it is really has taken on a whole different uh, format than anywhere else. And it is really quite magnificent when you when you see it. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm just that's the sort of extraordinary thing is that, you know, I get off the plane, I come to these spaces, you know, I'm so, I come in with this very wide open sort of uh, opportunity to sort of, again, having to think about a different way of, of experiencing the work. And so, you know, the work has offered me this incredible new way of thinking about the sort of vast options in which it can be experienced. And so let me tell you, the momentary is sort of gained an entire sort of otherness that has never happened anywhere else. And so, you know, the amazing thing about the momentary, you know, like Mass Mocha, it's that it's, I love this merging of the arts, the performing arts with the visual arts. And it really sort of is this magnificent sort of space that is going to allow that kind of uh, intervention, that kind of uh, interfacing to sort of happen. And I think with until the amazing thing about it and how it and what it's going to provide in terms of of these type of invitations um, is really going to be again a magnificent sort of uh, experience for what the mission is for the momentary and uh, again the role in which both uh, installation as well as performance art sort of um, collaborate and start to sort of formulate and to speak about a particular way of, of 
of, of sort of working and sort of coming together. So I'm, I'm interested in just uh, that sort of navigation and that sort of uh, uh, invitation. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point. One of the things when we were finding our, our partners is that we're all also have as much dedication to visual arts as we do performance and performing arts. And that was one of the very first things that Nick talked about when he proposed to make this work was that it would become a platform for us to invite performers and community members in to sort of use this space to respond to these issues. And, and that's been an, a, 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 also an incredible part of the whole tour of this show and the performers who have come together and made works uh, specifically for these spaces. Yeah, and I think one of the um, really exciting, you know, COVID opportunities, I will say, as we're trying to like, think positively, is how we envisioned that aspect of the exhibition. So the part of Until that invites artists, performers, all of all disciplines to the space to respond, to engage. And it really all starts with a convening and a conversation um, that normally brings everyone together in the space. And the respondent artist gets a chance to see the work, meet with Nick, talk to the team and sort of see what's going on. So that's another part of the exhibition to really look out for and to think about because we'll sort of be scheduling them and having them through the duration. Some will be virtual, some will be in person, some will be pop-ups, some will be more announced, but um, all of that is sort of developing with a really great slate of local um, and regional performers and artists that will be a part of that. Um, I think, Denise and Nick, my last question, and this is maybe for all of us too, um, for me as well, like what do we hope, what do we want people to come away with um, as they're in until, as they're thinking about until, like what is it that, um, what is that? What does that feel like? For me, one of the, the most important things that, you know, happen with this show, and I've seen it in every location, is how it empowers a community to uplift each other. It provides a space in even the darkest moments of despair to try to find hope through the people we surround ourselves with. Um, and I think, you know, I, I know that's going to happen uh, in Bentonville as well. And, um, you know, the show closed here at Mass Mocha over three years ago, and people still talk about what it meant to them. Um, and that kind of lasting impact to be able to talk about these really difficult issues, but also to have the work sit inside people um, in a really impactful way. And I think that's true of all the performers as well. I mean, every performance we've had, like there wasn't a dry eye in the house because there's something about what Nick is offering to people that it, it, it allows people to put their walls down and be 100% vulnerable and open. And, and I don't know of many artworks that have that power. Yeah, and I think, you know, right now, I think, you know, as I've sort of understand myself more and as an artist, you know, I think it's about service. It's, you know, I'm interested in, you know, making work that is about service uh, 
you know, I, I'm an artist with a civic responsibility and how do I sort of create these opportunities where the work is of service? And so for me, you know, I was in need for until, and particularly when George Floyd happened, I was wondering, I was like, where is it? You know, I just need it to be in it uh, because it brings me comfort. It brings me hope. It brings me optimism and reflection. And so that is the takeaway, that everyone's going to come to it uh, from all sorts of directions. Uh, but no one is going to leave without seeing what commitment looks like, what dedication looks like, what standing up for something looks like. And they're going to reflect on the experience that they've had moving through the exhibition. That was Nick Cave, described by the New York Times as the most joyful and critical artist in America. He was joined by Denise Marconish, senior curator at Mass Mocha, and Lauren Haynes, curator of visual arts at The Momentary in Bentonville. Nick Cave, Until, is on display at The Momentary until January 3rd. And that is our show for this week. Please tune in next week at the same time. I'm Daniel Breen, and the art scene is a presentation of UA Little Rock Public Radio.